0: This is Strange Assembly, episode two hundred and sixty-two, International Tabletop Day. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. I'm here today to talk about my tabletop day. Uh, this is coming a little bit later than would have been ideal. So for those of you who have been following the saga, we were having some iTunes issues, but those have been dealt with, and we are back on the iTunes feed, although of course the people I need to say that to are the people who are not listening to this because it had vanished from the iTunes store. Tabletop Day this year took place right at the beginning of June, so we're not quite as delayed as one might have thought since it did not take place in April as it usually does. Indeed, there's been a bit of a change-up this year with Tabletop Day with the dates and with the level of uh, you know, national support. However, other than the date, it didn't have a terrible lot of effect on me or my Tabletop Day uh, because I did Tabletop Day this year, as I did last year, at Labyrinth in D.C., and they put on a really great Tabletop Day experience, so even though there wasn't the same level of you know national support coming in, the store itself still did all the things that they usually do to make Tabletop Day uh, really fun. So I got to play four games over the course of Tabletop Day, and then a fifth one, which I'll Mention the circumstances of a little bit later. But the first game I played, and spoiler alert, the best game I played out of the ones you're going to hear about today is Wingspan, published by Elizabeth Hargrave and Stonemeyer Games in 2018. If you've heard of Wingspan and follow things that are going on with the gaming industry, it will probably not come as a surprise to you that this was the best game on the day. It's been extremely well received. It's been nominated for awards and right, it's not like Stonemire is in the habit of putting out bad games. In Wingspan, each of the players is their own bird sanctuary and for those who are very into the birds and things, I, actually each of the cards in the game represents a different actual bird with information about the actual kind of bird there on the card. Now, I got to tell you, thematically, birds are not my thing, so you're not going to hear me ooing and awing over whether or not it accurately represented my favorite thing, because I wouldn't have a clue. But for those of you who are interested in that sort of thing, it's there. And Wingspan is really a, a straight-up Euro-style game, Like a lot of Euro-style games, it involves an element of engine building. And in this case, what you have is your sanctuary is represented by a board with three rows that are three different kinds of habitat. The forests and the plains and then the wetlands. And you will be playing bird cards into each of these rows. And the resource economy essentially is that one row generates food. And one row generates eggs, and a th- this third row generates cards. And you obviously have to draw cards uh, before you can play them. You need food to play any sort of bird, uh, and then you need eggs to play the birds. As you go further right in each row, uh, you have that little extra cost to to play more things in that row. But one of the reasons you might want to have a, a large variety of birds in, or a large quantity of birds in one row, is that you also have abilities that every time you play, you activate that row, it will play an ability on many of the birds. So if you've got, you know, five birds in one row that all activate whenever you activate that row, all of a sudden that can be a pretty powerful row. Of course, you have to balance that with your need to generate all three of these resources modifying that are going to be round goals so you you know you're not just going to try to push in the same way every time of course it's going to depend on which cards that you get some of the birds are more about comes into play effects some of them are about these activated abilities whenever you do that particular row and some of them are about abilities that trigger on other players' turns. You know, whenever somebody lays eggs on their turn, oh hey, maybe you get an egg or a series of predator birds who are going to trigger every time certain abilities happen. So, and they're like they're marked with this little death skull because you can't have a bird game without death, right? Uh, or really, you you can't have a nature game without death. So, if some of the the abilities that might happen on other players' turns would represent that bird eating something. And so, hey, maybe every time another bird gets eaten, well, you get some kind of point from that as your scavenger comes in, perhaps. It all just flowed together really smoothly. It has... Even the normal components in the normal game are are very nice. You've got, you know, full-color artwork of all the different birds. You have these eggs that manage to successfully both look like eggs, and be just flat enough that they aren't just going to roll all over the place like the eggs would. I, I think that the normal version of the game just has tokens for the different food items, but this was the designer's copy of the game, and so it actually had these little custom adorable, you know, like a worm is a, a worm thing, but even even the normal uh, version I'm, I'm sure is nice. Oh, and it includes a bird feeder for rolling the food dice in, uh, to Dermot, so that's really great. Uh, and so, yes, like I said, that was the designer copy. Elizabeth was present, so but I did not. I played on her copy, but not with her, because she was demoing Tussie Mussy. It was on Kickstarter at the time. It's not now, so I'm not going to go into it, because you can't do anything with it if you didn't get it then, but if you go to the Kickstarter, you can see what it was, and then when it, it comes out, check it out then. But that was Wingspan by Elizabeth Hargrave, really smooth, really worth checking out. Uh, if you like the theme, if that's a thing for you, that's going to be a super successful game. Me, I didn't care about the theme one way or the other, but still, I thought it was a really great game. The second game on the day I played was Potato Pirates from Think Fun and published in 2018. Uh, now, this is a kid, uh, more of a kid family aimed game, which is what Think Fun does and I played it with both adults and children, and in this game, you start out with a couple of pirate ships, and you have these little fuzzies that are the potatoes that are on your pirate ships. You're arming your pirate ships with different uh, combat of attack, you know, maybe mash will let you kill two potatoes on an enemy ship, and if you draw the potato, uh, the pirate king card, then Other players have to salute you, and whoever salutes you last loses some potatoes. And again, this is a a very lighthearted, kid- or family-oriented game. However, even within that milieu, it it didn't really click for me because you had this tendency to start the game, and players would dump their hands out, and there'd be a lot of obliteration of ships and potatoes right away but then everybody's hands would be mostly empty and so it was just very dependent on who happened to draw the cards that then let you draw more cards because then those players could really continue to actively participate when you eliminated another player you got to take their cards so there was a very big snowball effect I mean not that the little, like, the kids really notice this and I know it's more aimed at them but like you could tell that the adults the adult gamers at the table very quickly reach this point where you're like oh this game still has a while to play out but we all already know who won because there's no way that the player with you know 10 cards in their hand when everybody else has two is and, and they have more ships than everyone and they I mean, is is ever going to win so and, and there can even be player elimination, but again, it can take a little bit for the, the thing to roll around. And I, I mentioned the player elimination, right, because that, right, depending on the kid, they can have an issue with that, but it can take a little bit for the game to wrap around. But that was that was Potato Pirates. It was an, an amusing theme, but I, it just needed you know, you needed some way to just keep the action flowing a little bit more. But instead, players just kind of ran out of things to do really quickly. So I that is not one that I think I'd want to to revisit. That was Potato Pirates, uh, published by Think Fun in 2018. The next game up that I played was Tower of Madness, uh, published by Smirk and Dagger also in 2018. Tower of Madness is one of those games with a really great table presence. You build a literal tower, and you have that set up in the middle of the table. And it's madness, so you will not be shocked to know that it's a Cthulhu-themed game. And in the there are holes in the sides of the tower, and through these holes you in, you uh, insert these tentacles, and then you pour marbles into the top of the tower. And so what will happen is that as the game goes on, different tentacles will get pulled out. And from time to time, when a tentacle gets removed, that's going to free up the last remaining support for one or more marbles, and they will fall to the to the base of the tower, and, and various things might happen. But the core gameplay of this is essentially a Yahtzee sort of mechanic, right? You have a set of dice, you are going to be... You, you roll them, you assign a little bit of them, you could do some re-rolling, and then ultimately what you're trying to do is each of these locations in a stack Of a deck you're trying to get a one and a two and a three which means that you have successfully accomplished what you were trying to do at that location and then you have a separate set of scoring dice and so the player who wins and actually gets the victory point for the location is whoever managed to successfully complete it and then has the most points so you can as you're rolling your dice try to go for Okay, a, a more sure completion, or you can be a little bit riskier and try to get a higher score while doing the completion. You might also be, if you think you can't win, you might be rolling your dice to try to get certain combinations that trigger an unnatural ability. You know, you get an extra tile that gives you something to do. Every time a player fails at a location, that's the standard way when you pull out one of these tentacles, and as the the dice. Uh, Sorry, as the marbles fall down, there are discovery marbles, which are just worth victory points. There are spell marbles. Every time you get a spell marble, you get a new spell. You also get a couple of them at the start of the game. And then there are madness marbles. And so when you get a certain number of madness marbles, you go insane. You're basically on the cultist's side now. And all of a sudden, the spells that you've accumulated, instead of the beneficial effects for you or another player that they have, Now, they tend to be actually relatively strong effects that mess with other people. The final kind of marble in the tower is a, a, I'm going to call them a doom marble. I don't remember if that's the official name, but the doom marbles. And if enough doom marbles come out, then, right, the old ones arise and the world is destroyed and so on and so forth. So if the players successfully make it through the stack then whoever has the most victory points and is sane wins. If all of the Doom marbles come out, most of the time, everyone loses. If you are an insane player, and the final Doom marble comes out on your turn, you win. And the insane players are a little bit more likely to have a Doom marker come out on their turn, because once you go insane, you are no longer participating in the usual investigation. Instead. Your turn is pulling a tentacle, and your interaction with the other players is then getting to play the spell cards, which you may draw because you have spell marbles come out, or because you have leftover from when you were still sane. Like I said, it's got a really great table presence, it's a really fun concept, it is definitely random, and there can be a little bit of sitting around, I mean, now, obviously, right, there's a a standard level of random built in. You're drawing some cards, you're rolling the dice, you know, finding out what would happen with that. The sort of problematic randomness was that in the marbles, right, sometimes you'd pull tentacles out and just nothing would fall out. So you're just, your game at that point is just rolling the dice. Whereas if you pull a tentacle out and a bunch of spell cards come out, oh, now you've got more options to do. This is especially a thing if you're a player who has gone insane because that is your whole turn. If you don't get marbles to fall out when you're an insane player, then you, like, you pull the tentacle, you're done. You pull the tentacle, you're done. And I, I think that the point of having the insane players still doing the tentacle pulling thing is right to keep that player Involved in a in the game in a situation that would otherwise be player elimination, but it it's possible to get eliminated pretty early if you have get unlucky with the madness dice, or not to get eliminated but to go insane pretty early. And then right when you have these tentacle pulls that are nothing, that player ends up kind of sitting there a bit. So it was not the an amazing execution, but it was still overall a fun game, and especially. You know, if you like that idea, this visual appeal of pulling the tentacles out and having the marbles falling down. That was Tower of Madness, published by Smirk and Dagger. Our fourth game also has a pretty unique component, and that is Planet. Planet is published by Blue Orange and designed by Ertus Selinkus. And the big visual component that's nifty about this is that you have this 12-sided, you know, this big plastic 12-sided 3D piece. And so it's it's kind of a t- it's a tile laying game, but instead of laying your tiles out flat on the board, you are going to be laying playing these tiles onto your planet and they're magnetized and and that you know, again, right? You you open the box. You've got these four big planets to to mess around with. It's it's got a great visual appeal. It's got solid, fairly standard sort of uh, tile laying mechanics. After that point, your scoring is going to be that there's a series of of cards, and at the end of each of the rounds, starting with about three, you'll be looking at those cards, and they represent different kinds of animals, and They're going to reward players for having the most of a particular color of terrain, or having the most different separate areas that show a different terrain, or this kind of terrain next to that kind of terrain. And you know that all of these are coming, so you have the ability to plan for them. And the way that you plan for them and get the tiles that you want is a draft. And that there will be, let's say if there's four players, then there's going to be five tiles that are coming up in a particular stack and you get to choose which one you want uh if you're if you're the first player, right, you choose which one you want you put it on your planet you can put it anywhere on your planet you don't have to put it next to existing things but there's no way to move them once they're on players do tend to put them near each other because you want to build up things that are the same but when you're making your choices some of it are things that everyone is competing for right that's the publicly available information about the animal cards are that are going to be doing uh those are going to become end of game end game scoring you collect the card if you win it and then it's worth points but also each player has a secret planet type and that is going to encourage you to take lots of tiles that have that terrain type on them there is then also a little bit of a balancer that although you're taking a lot of those, so that is going to tend to make it easier for you to win the animal cards of that color, but then those animal cards of that color are worth a little bit less for you at the end. It was a solid game. It was fun. Again, I think everybody who plays it loves the three-dimensional planets that you're building your terrain on. That is Planet from Erta Linkus, published by Blue Orange. Now, those are the four games that I played on tabletop day at labyrinth but one of the things that labyrinth does every one of its tabletop days uh, at least the ones that i've been to they have a raffle and so over the course of the day you earn raffle tickets for playing in demos and if you if you then buy things from the store uh those can also earn you more raffle tickets uh, and that sort of thing and then there's a table with just a whole bunch of games on it. I don't I don't know how many there were this year. Maybe 20 to 30. I mean there was, there was more than 20. Maybe 30ish games on there on the table and some of them are little small games that are, you know, l- lower cost games. There's a few of them that are really big, expensive sorts of games. Uh there are also options that are available that are more uh experiential like tickets to Washington uh, in the in the fall and you take those raffle tickets and you have to decide what it is that you're aiming for. And so if you want, you can turn this into a little game, you know, right? Because you can be like, well, how much do I want a particular game? How much do I think other people are going to want that game? Uh, You know, so if you think that there's a particular game that you really, really want, but you think everyone else is really, really, really going to want it too, there may be a lot of raffle tickets in there. So you may go for a game that okay, you'd like that game, you think that'll be a nifty game to try out, but you don't think it's going to be super bombarded by raffle tickets, so, you know, you go ahead and, and put them there and improve your chances of getting it. Last year, I did not win anything. This year, however, uh, I did, and I won from the raffle the game Vault of Dragons. And Vault of Dragons, uh, it's, it's list, Aaron Dill is listed as the designer and it is a re implementation of Sons of Anarchy, Men of Mayhem. And he was one of the designers on that. Men of Mayhem was published in 2014 by Gale Force 9. This one, also published by Gale Force 9, but in 2018, is Dungeons and Dragons branded. If you follow Dungeons and Dragons, you may recognize the Vault of Dragons from the Waterdeep Dragon Heist campaign book and in vault of dragons each of the players is taking on the role of one of the potential villains actually in the vault of dragons uh book because the there is no one set mastermind behind the scenes in the vault of in, in the dragon heist campaign the dungeon master can, you can do it randomly or can choose whenever it is that they they run it and it modifies some of the things about the adventure. But in this case, the Vault of Dragons is a... right, there's a vault. It's hidden somewhere. Dragons are uh, names of one of the currencies in Waterdeep, so it's a vault of cash, not a vault of the monsters who will eat you and such. And you're moving uh, your adventurers around a board, or really your mercenaries. They're your mercenaries, uh, around the board and On a a grid of locations. Each of those locations has an action you can take if you're the only person there. It has a reward it gives you at the end of the turn if you're the only person there. And so you're gonna, the, the players are gonna take turns taking actions. And sometime that's gonna be using the actions on the location tile, but it also could be moving around, it could be getting in a fight. With other players who are at a tile, it might be getting in a fight to shoo the city watch off of a location so you truly control it. And like Men of Mayhem, one of the, the kind of key components of this interaction is that you never get to move somewhere or almost never get to move somewhere and then do something immediately. You You move somewhere and then it's going to be another action to start the fight or use the location or whatever it is. So everyone has an opportunity to to come over and get in your way if they want, or if they're already there and they don't want you to crush them, to, to hop on out. The The combat has essentially two different components to it. There are three kinds of adventurers, rogues, fighters, and wizards. Sorry, if you want clerics, you'll have to get the expansion. And, uh, you know, you have fighters are right, just a solid combat die, rogues are a pretty weak combat die. Uh, and wizards have a bigger combat die than the fighters, but not by that much, and they cost way more, so a lot of what they do is about access to some of the other cards that you can play, but the rogues, while they have a lousy combat die, they also roll a casualty die, and so that's where you get into the two layers of combat, because just winning a fight doesn't kill anyone. It just makes your opponent run away. Casualty dies, well, those start to kill off units, so Right, Your your wizards, right? Those are your most expensive pieces. You don't want them sitting around by themselves because then they'll get nuked by the casualty die. You want to have a nice little border of, of fighters around them. Uh, but uh, this is Dungeons and & Dragons, and so the game is not just running around the city, activating locations. Eventually, you go into dungeons, and in particular, this is represented by you going down into Undermountain, into the uh, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, as it were. So you get a little bit of material that comes in from the Dungeon of the Mad Mage uh, campaign book that follows up on Dragon Heist. Although that's not precisely how it works in the, the games. And And there you have to have your group of mercenaries go in and face challenges. And eventually you accumulate enough secrets to be able to access the Dragon Vault. Those secrets also make it easier for you to defeat the Dragon Vault, which is important because once you find and reveal the Dragon Vault, anybody can go to it, even if they weren't the player who found it, even if they don't have enough secrets to have found it in the first place. And then whoever beats the Dragon Vault first wins, right? There's no scoring, there's no second place, there's no tying. So uh, I really liked the I really liked the theme for Vault of Dragons. That was a big part of why I put my raffle tickets in it. Of like, ooh, this is based on a D and D adventure, I know. And then it actually has little miniatures for the different figure types, which is is nice. The folks I I ended up playing it with, they I think they found the the fact that you had to move and then do something later to be a little bit slow paced. It ends up being you know, much more area control euro ish than the theme might make you think. I mean, there are dice running around. Uh, you're right, there are dice and there are adventurers running around, but uh, you know, u- ultimately, just winning the fights is is the question of losing an action for the most part. You move the characters away, maybe you lose, you know, a gold worth of, of people, right? Because it's it's just another action to bring all your people back out. It's not like you're stuck without them. You definitely, if you play it, uh, you want to kind of pay attention to the the pace of play. The first time, it can you can end up in this sort of situation where it seems like it's going to be a while. Do the vault of dragons, and then you kind of look down and you realize, oh wait a minute, I actually can just slice and dice through dungeons like nobody's business, and. Somebody can just go Dungeon, Dungeon, Dungeon win, so you don't want to hang around and, and wait for that. But overall, solid game, and that is Vault of Dragons from Galeforce 9, published in 2018. Right. So that is it for, we, for what we had today. That was my uh, international tabletop day. I talked about Wingspan from Stonemaier Games, Potato Pirates from Think Fun, Tower of Madness from Smirk and Dagger, Planet from Blue Orange Games, and Vault of Dragons from Gale Force 9. Thanks for listening, and for those of you who have been uh, longtime listeners who have had a bit while we were dealing with iTunes, I thank you for your patience. I particularly thank the uh, Patreon supporters who have stuck with us as we've uh, had these issues. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, or you can find it and subscribe at www. Strangeassembly.com. While you're there, you can also check out written reviews and other articles. You can find us at the usual social media. We're Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I always like to hear from you directly. I am Chris at strangeassembly.com. I always love to hear your comments, feedback, criticism, what have you. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.